Are you an overwhelmed entrepreneur with endless tasks, emails, and messages? Do you feel your systems are ineffective or you don't have any at all? I get it. You wish you could come up for air and take that well-deserved vacation you've been dreaming of, all without sacrificing the growth or health of your business. I'm hosting a webinar to introduce concepts that you can use to learn more about how to clockwork your business for operational efficiency. The best part? The webinar is at no cost to you. It will be held May 14th at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern, and a recording will be available for those who can't attend live. If you are ready to make a change in your business so you can take a real vacation, go to bit.ly forward slash May 2024 CFF to enroll. That's bit.ly forward slash May 2024 CFF. I can't wait to see you there. Welcome to Biz Help For You with host Candy Messer. Entrepreneurs like to focus on the big picture, like profitability, success, and a smooth running organization. But there always seems to be those little things like taxes, employee compensation, laws, regulations, and more. Now you can get the answers you need in one place. Join us today as we break it all down for you. Now, here's your host, Candy Messer. Hello and welcome to Biz Help For You with Candy Messer. Thank you for joining us today. I hope you enjoyed last week's show, learn how to trade in outdated, ineffective sales funnels in favor of consistent client flow. If you are unable to join us and would like to listen to the show, links can be found on our YouTube and Facebook pages, as well as multiple favorite podcast platforms. If you'd like to receive notifications on when our podcasts have been uploaded, please like and subscribe. And if there are topics you'd find beneficial or questions you have, please feel free to reach out to me at media at abandp.com. Now let's learn a little bit about our guest today. Nick Pastushin is founder and CEO of Warbird Capital LLC, a private debt and equity investment company that features advisory and coaching for its customers. He's an experienced restructuring professional with major roles in complex airline bankruptcy cases, all the way down to small business turnarounds. His background includes over 20 years as a credit professional at major banks, finance companies, and leasing companies, including roles as chief credit officer and chief investment officer with a $20 billion portfolio across multiple business lines. So Nick, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. So before we get started on questions that I have for you, I always ask the guests to tell me just a little bit more about themselves. And so I'd love you to explain a little bit more about you and how did you get into being a fixer for small businesses? I guess like many things in life, it's a long and winding road. But um, after spending a long time as uh, you know, the, the, the point of a funnel of a, of a big institution that has hundreds of originators out there finding deals and is the chief credit officer, chief investment officer, I'm the one that has to uh, decide yes or no on everything. So I had a line of people out my door, saw thousands of deals, and that was really rewarding. Sorry about the phone going in the background here. Um, so uh, when I left that and started my own shop, Warbird Capital, originally thought I was going to raise money and start a fund doing planes, trains, ships, the same kind of things I'd done. And 
I, I found the first couple of deals I did with my own money to be really rewarding. So I decided to focus on much smaller things. And then when COVID hit, um, I, I did some volunteer work, basically helping local small businesses, anybody who needed it with trying to get the PPP loans and mm -hmm. understand what the forgiveness requirements were and things. Um, and that was really rewarding too. So then I've, since then I've really pivoted the business more to helping entrepreneurs because I found it to be very rewarding, uh, more, you know, personally rewarding. So I still did, you know, a big Latin American bankruptcy uh, that's been going on for two years. It started with COVID. Uh, that's, you know, a really amazing complex case because you've got all these big international financing agreements for $100 million assets of aircraft and, you know, 300 of them unwinding all that stuff is, is really complicated. And that was a good spot for me. But um, the, the fixing that I've done, uh, I really got a lot of personal benefit out of it and I'd like to do more of it, which is kind of why I'm trying to do a bit of an educational tour now, share some information that I've learned, uh, you know, lessons from the trenches after being a fixer, right. what are some of these common themes? So that's, that's what I'd like to talk about today. Mm -hmm. Well, perfect leading into my next question, because I actually was going to ask you are, what are some of the financial errors that you see happening with entrepreneurship? So I kind of bucket them into three main areas. They may have a couple of different flavors here and there, but um, a lot of the entrepreneurs I've met or worked with are really fantastic at what they do. They've got, you know, they might be the best internet marketers in the world or whatever, but they don't know how to build a financial forecast in Excel mm -hmm. or how to do, you know, a financial plan or understand what's good debt or bad debt. So the, the three areas that I've normally seen is, well, number one, understand your numbers. What do I mean by that? So, um, in in a lot of businesses, it's what are your costs, right? What are your what's your burn rate if you have no revenue? Um, you know, what's your actual profitability between what you're buying and what you're selling? A lot of the situations I've run into are when people just didn't understand their costs properly, and it got to the point where that snowballed, and then you need some kind of a bridge loan or a turnaround or something like that to to fix it, a liquidity uh, issue. So understanding the numbers is uh, is number one. The second is working capital. I'm sure you've seen this a lot of times. A successful business that's growing can actually be cash flow negative. Why? Because mm -hmm. if you, depending on your uh, what you're making, what you're selling, what you're doing, um, when you put money out, when you get money in with the growth, the working capital needs can expand pretty quickly. Right. Some businesses don't have a lot of working capital requirements. Some do. But that's another case where, uh, you know, I've run into, I've been called in last minute for firefighting drill with somebody that has a liquidity need and it's a working capital based issue. Mm -hmm. And then the third one is the type of debt that you have. So, you know, if you have a working capital need that is, you know, it's a recurring need, you can't go do a um, merchant cash advance deal on that where you pay astronomical fees and it pays back in three months because then you're on this treadmill because you need right. that same amount of money for working capital three months from now as you do now. So you can't pay it all back in three months. That's, you know, if I had to pick one thing that's the most common thread of situations I've been called in to help on, it's it's those kind of deals. Uh, the wrong kind of debt, you know, the wrong maturity and ultra high cost. Um, those, those are always tough problems and I see it way too much. Mm -hmm. 
Well, and I have seen a few, unfortunately, you know, people sometimes will get these before talking to, you know, their CPA or us as their bookkeeper, you know, just get some financial advice and think, you know, oh, well, I'll get some cash really quickly and this will help. But I've looked at after that comes to me and say, are you aware how much they're charging you in the long run? Like they'll say there's no interest, but there's this huge fee, you know, just that they take a third of it or something, you know, from what you're actually going to be getting from them. Or, you know, they're taking it out of their daily credit card sales. And so now they don't have cash to pay their ongoing, you know, bills, like you said. And so although it seems like a fix, right, like, oh, I'll get some cash quickly. It's, you know, so expensive and they don't always know what to look at to see how expensive it really is. And that's you know, exactly what you talked about there of like walking somebody through that and like showing them the math is mm -hmm. the first thing I do. It's like, do you see what this really costs? So. If you do have to pay, let's call it a third for the sake of argument, is the discount rate. Uh, mm -hmm. You sell some future receivables, um, for you get two thirds of it up front, but then you have to pay them the full amount back over three months, four months, whatever it is. So when you annualize that, you're talking about a completely astronomical rate of interest right. as if it was what a loan. I mean, they claim, oh, it's not a loan, it's, but right. either way, if you, you can do the math, it's the same, right? So mm -hmm. um, insane amount of interest, and as you said, that because you're repaying it so quickly, you're you don't have the money to pay the other things you need to right. two months down the line or whatever. So it gets you onto a treadmill. So mm -hmm. breaking that cycle has been one of the common threads to a lot of the turnarounds that I've had, that I've done. Mm -hmm. So can you give some examples of clients that you've worked with? Then and you know maybe someone came to you on one of these very astronomical rates. And, you know, of course they still have to pay that back, but going forward, how you help them get something that was more reasonable, that would help them get the capital that they need so they can operate um, and yet not, you know, pay so much out of pocket. Yeah. And that's one of the things where I'd, I'd like to think that uh, what I do or what Warbird Capital does is different is because not only like tell them how to fix the problem. Okay, you know, diagnose the problem, give them a plan to get out of it, but I'll also put the capital in and it's mm -hmm. it's my own money, right? So it's not like I've got a fund raised or whatever. The, the money that I'm investing out of Warbird Capital is my own money. So I'm you know personally becoming a partner with them, whether it's mm -hmm. a loan or, uh, or an equity investment, whatever, you know, our, our interests are very aligned. So my desire to have them succeed is very strong. So, that's that's the basic approach of how I do it. As far as the examples, you know, there's a there's a whole bunch of them, but I'll give you another one that's sort of uh, or the first one really that's uh, sort of an accounting based one, which is really interesting. Which is a really seasonal uh, rental property management company. So in their first couple of years of operations, um, as you can imagine, if you're doing summer rentals in a really seasonal market, you got this massive cash flow spike in uh, the summer and uh, week in the winter. And as they got started, they didn't set up really sophisticated accounting. Mm -hmm. And I say that kind of, uh, you know, even generously. And as you've probably seen with a lot of entrepreneurs, when you're starting out, simple accounting is usually what you do. So it might be a cash basis accounting, not accrual. Mm -hmm. Where that can come back to bite you is when you have real timing differences. Mm -hmm. So imagine you're running properties and you get deposits coming in, you know, in the spring on whether it be you're doing it through Airbnb or direct rentals, whatever, but you're getting cash in many months in advance of the stay. 
Mm-hmm. Then the stay happens. And then the following month, you have to pay the owners out their portion of the um, the overall rentals, right? You're just getting a commission right. on the rental. If you're using a cash basis method of accounting, maybe with some improper revenue recognition anyway, you look at this cash balance you have come early summer that's astronomical and you haven't recorded the expense yet of the owner's parts, you don't pay it out yet. Your books tell you you're doing great. You look at your bank account balance, you're doing, you think you're doing really great. You spend some of that money, you get to the fall and you realize, uh oh, I don't have enough money to get through the winter and to pay the owners the portion they did because I wasn't properly understanding you know, what money had to be set aside as it came in. Right. So one, the main fix there was one, so that was an understanding your numbers type issue. So one, switch from cash uh, to accrual basis of accounting. Two, set up an escrow account such that mm-hmm. as soon as any dollar comes in, the owner's portion goes over to an escrow account. The other part gets recognized as revenue for the management company. Um, and six months later, that business was doing totally fine. It, it wasn't an issue that they didn't have enough properties under management. They weren't covering their costs. It was that they you know, used too much of the money for another project at the wrong time because the numbers were giving them misleading information. Right. So cash versus accrual uh, can matter sometimes. Usually it's not too much of a big deal, but right. uh, sometimes it does. Yeah. And that makes sense in the example that you gave. And again, for those who don't really understand the difference between cash and accrual, I'll throw in a quick definition. So again, cash, you record income or expenses when the cash is either received or paid out. Accrual, the minute that you are, you know, invoicing someone, if you create invoices, um, then you account for that money, even if you actually haven't been paid yet, and expenses, you account for those costs as soon as you receive the bill and have posted that, even if you haven't paid it yet. So that's the difference between cash and accrual and the timing differences you were talking about when you're receiving some money and you have the expenses coming later. Um, So that's one example. And then I think too, one of the things I also talk about um, and I try to share with people if they are going to have something they have to pay out later, whether it's you know sales tax, estimated tax payments, whatever. And in your example that you shared, you know the owner's portion is have another account that you put that money into. So when you're looking at your bank balance, you're not seeing this large amount thinking, oh, great, we're doing really well. <laughs> because a lot of people, that's what they look at. They look at the bank balance. They're not looking at financial reports. So even if they were on an accrual basis, if they're looking at that cash balance, they're going to have the sense of, you know, we're doing great if maybe they really shouldn't have, you know, taken that into consideration. So I'm glad that you mentioned doing that as well, having a separate account. Yeah, that's definitely one of the best practices uh, to recommend across the board, uh, Mm -hmm. especially in circumstances like that where you might have big timing differences or, you know, something's coming. But that's sort of the other flavor of knowing your numbers is Mm -hmm. having a decent ability to forecast. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's more pronounced in a seasonal situation or something like that. But um, knowing your numbers, I put usually into two buckets where things go wrong. It's because you don't understand your costs or you don't have good forecasting. And sometimes it's both. Right. So I'll I'll give you a second example of a, of a company that was involved in making health, uh, health food bars, you know, nutrition bars. Mm -hmm. And, so the situation there was a mostly working capital thing at first because they had to place orders in advance for you know, 50% deposit for the bars, the outsourced manufacturing of the bars and the labels. When you do different flavors, it's a whole different production runs. So you got to carry extra inventory. So um, there's the working capital, capital aspect of it. 
And then the forecasting portion was just to understand, okay, if I'm selling this many bars of this flavor, at what point do I need to reorder? What are the mm -hmm. cash needs for wrappers and deposits that I need to have? So therefore, how does that work into my cash requirements and the working capital? So building a forecast model for that business was, was extremely helpful. Mm -hmm. And then where that one uh, unfortunately became the trifecta was they got into the situation where they needed working capital. So it became uh, a bad debt, wrong kind of debt situation too. Mm -hmm. And then about a year later, I asked, you know, I didn't actually do a deal uh, of funding for them. They got uh, other money, but I say, Hey, you know, how's it going? And they're like, well, we're just continuing the bar business. I'm like what, what do you mean? That's like your bread and butter. You spent all this time marketing it and building up the customer base. So yeah, well, I'm actually losing money on every bar. So they thought they were making money on every bar but they actually weren't in reality. So it's a combination of knowing your numbers of what is your true costs all in, um, you know, do you really have a margin on that or not? Um, and so that, that was a situation that kind of ticked off all three uh, of the issues that I, that I talked about. Now, just to add a feel good thing at the end, that business made a pivot and is doing some, some completely different products now, still in the health food space, um, and it's been quite successful and kept, kept that whole customer base. They stuck with them, uh, even through COVID supply chain disruptions and things. So it's, mm. uh, e even though they ticked off all three of the things I said can be issues, uh, that, that one's still thriving. So that's mm. good. Nice. It's always good to hear, you know, the good stories of what happens. But um, I would love for you then to just talk about, too, for the entrepreneurs who are listening, who really don't understand the concept of good debt versus bad debt and why you might want to actually take on a loan rather than using the capital that you have in the bank. Sure. So a lot of entrepreneurs, and I'm sure you've seen this a thousand times, do the either bootstrap or friends and family kind of thing to get started. Mm -hmm. um, and depending on what the working capital needs of the business are or the expansion needs, you know, if you're doing some kind of brick and mortar or anything like that, you've got to build out facilities. The, the capital needs are, are just higher. Mm -hmm. So generally, in that case, you need to find some other other money uh, that might come in the form of equity investment, although every entrepreneur hates the idea of dilution, right? You want to hold mm -hmm. on to as much as your company as you can. So then the other option to bring in money is, is some form of a loan. And so there, what I talk about is uh, maturity matching. So if you've got a, a one, one month need, a one month loan is fine. I would also suggest that your one month need is pretty darn rare. Usually you're talking about a multi-year need. So if you need to match the maturity of the loan and the repayment schedule of the loan to the cash flows that the business will repay that from, uh, that's really important. And then the other part is just the, the total cost of the debt. So uh, longer term debt or debt that's matched to the underlying need is the best kind that can be supported through cash flow. And Obviously, you want to minimize costs. Mm -hmm. And there is a whole spectrum of things out there. Uh, government SBA loans are generally pretty attractive. Uh, there are some you know, hoops to go through and uh, limited eligibility in cases, but that's that's generally considered pretty good debt on the, on the overall spectrum. Right. And then the type of thing that we talked about before about the real short-term loans, the easier it is to get, usually the worse it is. Right. So if I want to leave somebody with one little sound bite, the, you know, the, the real quick and easy money is going to be really expensive mm -hmm. um, and get you on the treadmill. Right. 
Exactly. Well, and I think a lot of people still think like, well, debt is bad. You always hear you shouldn't get into debt, you know, but if you are growing, you know, you're potentially going to have to buy equipment or, you know, maybe you need another vehicle for delivery or things like that. So if what you're going to purchase with that loan is going to help you grow your business in the long run. You know, it is good. You can write off the expense of the interest. You get to pay back the liability over time. Right. And so it definitely can help you with growth. And if you don't invest in a loan, you're potentially limiting that growth. Exactly. So it's a double-edged sword, right? It, hmm. it lets you grow faster, but it does come with risks. If mm -hmm. things go wrong, that debt still has to get serviced and you've got to cut back somewhere else. So then it gets into, you know, what kind of budgeting do you have to do? And when I when I come into a situation, it's usually because there's a liquidity crunch. And, you know, sometimes there are some austerity measures that have to be taken to help the turnaround happen. It's not just a matter of, oh, dump more money into it. No, you have to change some behavior too. Um, sometimes people don't want to hear that. But, right. you know, uh, some, not all medicine tastes good, right? You know, yeah. when you go to the doctor, sometimes you get some stuff that makes you better, but it doesn't uh, doesn't taste great. Right. Mm -hmm. So for those who are thinking, you know, okay, I want to make sure that I'm planning in advance for my cash needs so I can avoid, you know, these very expensive loans that often those are the things you can get um, only at the last minute, because if you don't have capital available, right, to pay things back, you know, then they're the ones that you go to because they'll just pull it from your credit cards or something. So what are the things that people can be looking for the, you know, the flags, let's say the alerts that will help them realize, okay, I should be looking into getting like a traditional loan right now, or some kind of less expensive loan. And that they would more likely be approved at that point where they don't have to wait and then go to these predatory loans. Well, and that's often where the challenge is because mm -hmm. the business that really is easiest to get approved at a bank, usually is a bit larger in scale, has some more diversified revenue streams, and mm -hmm. it is fairly healthy. Uh, you have to go through the hoops and all the process and things like that. And it takes time to go through a traditional bank loan, right. but, but you can get approved. Where I think our system has some gaps is those smaller, more entrepreneurial uh, startup kind of things. They don't have the, the credit metrics, if you will, that would help them easily get a traditional bank loan, right. which is what the SBA is there for, right? That's the, the government guarantee to the lenders to, to help in those situations. But even then, that's not available everywhere. So uh, sometimes, you know, a friends and family type loan situation is available too, not just the original startup equity. Um, if that's not available, you, know, you just need to hunt around. There has to be some, you know, a little bit more legwork to help find it, you know? So, those are the kind of things that I specialize in. So, you know, if somebody comes to me and doesn't need, you know, emergency liquidity, well, that's a much easier situation. Right. Um, and, and frankly, the loan's usually a lot cheaper, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, it does take more legwork and it may not be your, your large banks, but I would recommend regional and community banks first mm -hmm. uh, for the smaller businesses, because if you're in their footprint local, they're more likely to try to help. Now, the bad news is they still have all the same regulatory requirements of, of a bank and what their credit quality has to be and examiners are coming in and looking at it. So they still have, you know, a playbook standards they have to follow. Um, but don't just take the easy way out. Don't just take, uh, you know, easy, quick money 
that's really expensive with short repayments. Uh, keep mm-hmm. keep looking. There, there, there are a lot of people out there. They're looking for good investments, either debt or equity uh, on a private basis outside of the banking system. But it's going to probably take some legwork to find them. But but keep working because you never want to get into the the spiral, the, the treadmill, I call it, of the bad, bad type of debt. Right. So if someone is ready to say, okay, I think I need some additional working capital. I want to look into like a traditional bank loan at, you know, a regional bank or, you know, whoever that is, what are the things that you suggest that they prepare to be able to go to the bank and say, here is proof of, you know, how well my business is doing. I mean, obviously financial reports from great bookkeeping, you know, is important, but like, what are the things that they're going to be looking for? Yeah, there's usually a standard application package, uh, you know, all the traditional information disclosure about who the principals are, who the parties are, what the business is. Um, the financial statements are the number one thing that a bank uh, underwriter is going to be looking at. Understand the historical stability or growth or volatility or seasonality or, uh, of a business to really understand what's going on and what the debt capacity is. Mm-hmm. The debt capacity is usually driven by what the free cash flow is. So, um, there, there, are, there are pretty standard formulas within credit underwriting, whether it be at a big bank or a small bank, they, they all kind of look at it the same way. Um, right. But those are the types of things that you're going to need. If you, you know, have a decent forecast model or presentation about the business, show some examples of what you do, some of the you know, customer facing materials or a product sample, those are all great color to add to it because uh, it's not it's more to a story than just the financials and just the principles. But those are the critical things that every bank in the world is going to ask for. Mm-hmm. And what would you say to entrepreneur who's thinking, well, maybe I don't necessarily need like a long-term loan and getting a larger amount up front, but maybe I just need to have a line of credit available for if I need to cover, you know, payroll or something. What would you say about the credit line? So that's a great product uh, if it's available to you. Mm-hmm. So the reason it's so attractive is you you don't have an outstanding borrowing unless you need it. So you're not paying interest, but for a bank to give you a pre-committed credit line, um, you've got to have the cash flow and the assets there to support it upfront. Mm-hmm. So that's usually a very either debt-free or light debt business that has the debt capacity because the bank's going to underwrite it as if it's fully drawn mm-hmm. and say, okay, if it's fully drawn, you know, how can you service this debt? Right. So that's usually not the kind of thing that is a small business is going to be offered to you. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's more for your you know, medium-sized businesses or, or up to get a, a committed and undrawn credit line. Mm-hmm. The thing that people use all the time as a substitute for that is if they have a lot of home equity, a home mm-hmm. equity line of credit to use to yourself to fund the business has all those same advantages, but it's not based on the cash flow of the business. It's based on your home equity. Right. But of course, they're still going to look at your personal credit, which might be correlated to the business anyway. So, right. And then that's a bit risky, right? <laughs> to use your home equity line of credit to fund your business. Yeah. You're, you're perhaps over leveraging yourself personally uh, mm-hmm. to put money into the business. Now, you know, entrepreneurs are usually all in on their business. They've already committed most of their savings and everything to this business anyway. Uh, right. So it's almost like you're double leveraging it, right? If you if all of your savings are already invested in the business, and now you're going to bet your house on top of that, you know you're you're potentially out over your skis. So <laughs> I don't necessarily recommend that, but mm-hmm. it's it's available, right? 
So if someone were to come to you, they're hearing this and they're saying, okay, well, I'm interested in, you know, Warbird Capital and, you know, am I an ideal fit for them or, you know, how are they going to work with me? Like, what would you tell someone who's thinking of reaching out to you for more information? Like, who is it you ideally will work with? So the small to medium sized businesses are already established, have real revenue streams um, and have more of a timing problem than a mm -hmm. fundamental problem. You know, if you fundamentally don't have a product that's profitable or a service that's working or your marketing is not working, I can't really help with that. Mm -hmm. Where it's a, a finance either misstep, you had a blind spot and just, mm. you know, didn't know, didn't know what you didn't know and you got yourself into a bad situation on the finance side. Okay, well, that's something I can probably help with. Mm -hmm. So those are the, you know, real quick and simple criteria I could give of what might be a good fit for, for what I do. Okay. So perhaps like someone who didn't realize how much their tax bill was going to be. And it was like, oops, you know, I owe. And right. I didn't and you get a surprise, it. like a surprise <laughs> oops of a cash outflow and you need to raise money quickly. You know, please, please, please do not just go out to one of these merchant cash advance kind of things. Uh, that That's definitely a situation I can help with. If it's a little bit more complicated too, that there are some things within the business that can be improved too. It's not purely just a timing difference. Well, I can, I can help there. So I've, I guess I've changed my mindset is am I really offering coaching and advisory services with money attached or was I just offering money with some coaching and advisory to, you know, to help protect myself. Mm -hmm. What I've heard from the customers that have gone all the way through and, you know, become debt-free or, you know, they have only stable, sustainable debt that uh, mine was fully paid off. They say, you know, where you really helped me was giving me the plan. I mean, yes, the money was nice, but in hindsight, what changed my life, what changed the business was the plan. Right. Uh, so that's where I kind of think I've flipped what the real value is. But fundamentally, when when people come to me, it's there's a, a cash flow need and they talk to some friend of theirs who's an entrepreneur and say, oh, I know a guy. So, you know, I'm the guy that they know a guy. So it's all been word of mouth so far, um, you know, maybe spreading the gospel a little bit here. Um, there might be some other people who will now say, I know a guy. But what I'd really like to do is help a lot more people not get into the situation in the first place. Right. But well, I, and I, I think that's what's different about you just from what I'm hearing is you're not just giving the money for a loan and then, you know, collecting it back again through payments, but you're actually helping them see where to make those improvements. Yes, and I'll be completely transparent about it. That's very self-serving because if I've got my money invested in your business, I really want you to succeed. And right. I want you to have the benefit of my knowledge, my experience. I, I'm not going to run the business for you. I'm not going to make decisions for you, but you know, I'm going to I'm going to show you the path. Hopefully you follow right. it. Mm -hmm. Perfect. Well, I know we're going to be coming short on time. So I want to ask you if you have an offer that you would like to share with our listeners. Um, well, not a you know direct offer of a here's a coupon or something like that, but uh, you know warbirdcapital.com is the the website. There's contact information on there uh, for any of the listeners here that have learned something from this. You know, wonderful. Hopefully, you don't get into a situation. But entrepreneurs talk to other entrepreneurs, so mm -hmm. um, in the future, you talk to somebody who says they need a cash flow need. Well, now you can say I know a guy and right. pass along pass along that warbirdcap.com uh, website. Um, and, you know, hopefully I can help. And do you have any other methods that they can connect with you, whether social media, or if you have a phone number or email that you would like to share? Uh, sure. Uh, so my email is npastushin at warbirdcap.com. 
It, it's N-P-A-S-T-U-S-H-A-N at warbirdcap.com. War like you fight a war, bird like flies, cap like you wear on your head. <laughs> Perfect. Well, thank you, Nick, for being a guest on my show and sharing your experiences and, you know, case studies and tips and tricks with the listeners. I really appreciate it. Thank you very much. And for the listener too, who's tuning in, I hope you found this interesting and answered some of your questions regarding financial pitfalls to avoid for entrepreneurs. And if you have any additional questions or comments, be sure to reach out to Nick, or you can send us a message at media at abandp.com. And would you please share our show information with those, you know, I'd greatly appreciate your support. I hope you can join us for next week's topic, Selling with Authentic Persuasion. And please remember, you can connect with us on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn. And my website is abandp.com. Remember, you can also find the podcast on multiple favorite podcast platforms, including Google, TuneIn, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. Until next time, have a great week. Thank you for listening to Biz Help For You. Please join your host, Candy Messer, again next Tuesday. Have a terrific week.